Spencer Belpert and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Meg Rowley, and on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I welcome to the program Baseball Prospectus' managing editor, Craig Goldstein. Craig and I discuss his new job at BP and the state of affairs between our two sites before we shift our discussion to baseball dissemblers in light of a recent piece that Craig wrote on what teams promise but perhaps really mean when they use the term financial flexibility, the changes to the baseball, and the troubling case of Addison Russell. Plus, I attempt several metaphors, none of which quite work, but all of which are present here unedited. All of that is coming up, but first it is my obligation to tell you that Fangraphs memberships are now available at Fangraphs.com. For the monthly cost of a tenth of a therapy session that you will no doubt need when you realize you've wasted eight years of your life on Game of Thrones, you can support all the great work at Fangraphs, including the fine analysis of Jay Jaffe, Craig Edwards, and Dan Zimborski, Eric Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel's coverage of the upcoming MLB draft, and Ben Clemens on reliever versus starter performance. All that and much more is available to you. You may also, for a slightly greater sum, purchase an ad-free membership and enjoy fan graphs without banner ads, facilitating faster loading times. That bit of business being complete, I take you to my conversation with Craig Goldstein, Managing Editor of Baseball Prospectus, which begins right now. I can actually hear you, which is better than before. It sounded like you fell down on your way to closing the door. Is that true? Or was it the audio more dramatic than reality? I appreciate that you think that I have no coordination whatsoever. (laughs) But it was actually, I was shooing one of my cats out of the room uh, (sighs) since I was closing the door. And I didn't want them to be trapped in with me. I'd rather which of the, be trapped which of the cats? I was. It was Artemis. She's kind of more of the grumpy one. Yeah, I have met Artemis. She is yes. kind of grumpy sometimes. Yeah. I guess I should say because there there are just a lot of Craig's, and you're a Craig, but you're not a Fangraphs Craig. That that you're Craig Goldstein. You're you're Craig, and you're here on Fangraphs Audio, coming across enemy lines. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I mean, yeah, we're such bitter. distaste we have for each other you and i especially yeah personally we're not very we're not very good friends at all no how are you craig i'm doing well i think it's been an interesting 24 hours for me oh yeah you said right before we were on air that this might get off the rails and i'm just gonna go there immediately so on the rails it was exciting i had uh i had written an article about Alex Verdugo recently, yeah. and uh, Joe Davis talked about it on the Sportsnet LA broadcast uh, yesterday, which was very cool. Isn't that um, so that was good. But also in the same twenty four hours, I had a tweet that I I had quote tweeted some pictures of shampoo washed and blow dried cattle, and I said simply hell yeah, yeah. and Joyce Carol Oates retweeted it. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so now it's got like. You know, I don't know, 850 likes or whatever. It's oh, just been, it's been a weird 24 hours. How do you feel about Twitter as like an enterprise, Craig? What are your Twitter oh. thoughts? <laughs> well, I'm addicted to it. Does that influence I mean, anything whatsoever? You're a, you're a millennial in 2019, so I think take a number on that one probably. Yeah, true. But also, so like I have, do you know offhand like how many tweets you have? How many tweets like that I have tweeted? Yeah. Twitter uh, tells you, so it, it's easy enough it's to a, see. But. It's, a, it's too many. It's way too many. It's probably like 55,000 or something over time. I've been on Twitter since 2011, so. Okay, sure. And I, I also joined in 2011, which we should know is like two years after almost everyone who's been on Twitter forever joined. Right. I have 175,000 tweets. Craig. <laughs> what? Yeah, no, I, I'm defining addiction to you. Oh, no, Craig, I, that seems quite, that seems quite bad. Yeah, yeah, that no, it's, seems I wouldn't like too say many it's tweets. Great. Yeah, too so many tweets. how I would describe Twitter as an enterprise is ruining my life, but also sure. I love it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I am struggling. I'm struggling with Twitter. We won't talk about this for very long because it is thoroughly uninteresting for most people to hear about people who uh, have to be on Twitter for their jobs. Uh, talk about Twitter because it's just awful. But uh, I, I've been struggling with it lately. I've been struggling with the overfamiliarity that Twitter inspires in some. I don't know how to grapple with that. So I've been thinking about it because 
I need people to want to say, hey, you know, like for my job, but I wish people would say, hey, less often. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to have this conversation earnestly without coming across as the worst, like self aggrandizing and also burdened by things that other people would like very much. Sure. But I guess in a lot of ways, it doesn't change the fact that it it is still somewhat of a burden. Um, like, I would say that my kind of place on Twitter for a very long time now has been like someone you can josh with and at even if you're you're not super close friends. Like, I, I think that's been my personality. Um, and I like that. I enjoy yeah. it. It's how I've become friends with a great many people. And it is, I, I like to be approachable. But sometimes someone who is not a, a close friend makes a joke that works if a close friend makes it. Yeah. And it's a little bit, it just, it, it gets you. It's on, yeah. it gets right under your skin. Yeah. But, yeah, so I think and and I think that as a as a man on Twitter, I certainly get <laughs> a different type of familiarity than than you or some of our our other non-male friends. friends yes. uh might get. But it's still there there's I wouldn't call it an invasion of of privacy, but there is like a lack of space, right? There's a lack of of distance. Uh, yeah. that happens and it and it's because we're on podcasts and we talk about our lives and our interests yeah. and all of those things and I want people I want to be people's friends and I want people to be friends with me. You're famously a people person. <laughs> yeah. Um but it's tough because I want it on my terms. Right. And my terms aren't explicit, right? right. Like people don't know that, but that's what I want and that's right. how I engage with the world. So it does, I think there's often friction there because there's no space as, as how friction works. Yeah, there's no space. It's like, it's not an invasion of privacy. I, I have sometimes compared it to like uh, being in a crowded bar and someone eavesdrops and then chimes in and you're like, well, I'm in public. So if this were really something that had to happen away from other people, I guess I could have done that. But also, I don't know you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pals. But then, yeah, I mean, I do, like, in those moments, I really try and remind myself that, like, I've met so many people through, like, Twitter. That's how we became friends. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, so that's, and and that's, and we're real life friends now. We are good yeah. friends. And you can make jokes at my expense that I wouldn't yeah. let other people. One of the best parts make. of Twitter. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I but I do think that it's, um, that's one we got to grapple with a lot. Yeah. Yeah, we do. But we don't have to grapple with it anymore on this no, podcast because that's not what we can. Care. They don't care. So sorry, no. everyone. You could skip ahead. Maybe I'll give a little timestamp disclaimer of, of Twitter talk in the description. Craig, the reason I asked you to come on is, well, first of all, congratulations are in order because you're now the, the managing editor of Baseball Prospectus. So that's I very am. exciting. We're man- Well, I keep wanting to do it like attorneys general, man- <laughs> but that, it doesn't work for managing editor. It doesn't editor, work. No, it doesn't. I. No. No. No, but we are we are co well we are not co managing editors, but we occupy similar roles, I suppose. So that's very exciting. Congratulations! Thank you very much. Do you, let me let me ask you this: Did you is is being a managing editor what you thought it was before you managed editors? Sure, that's a terrific question. I think the thing I have been struck by. I was saying this to a friend recently. They were asking like. After kind of a, I had a weird day at work, they were asking like how, how I was and how things were going. And I said to them that I was fine. I like my job very much. I should say that off the bat and feel very fortunate to have it. But it's very strange the number of things I have to have an opinion about now. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that I have to think about and come to a considered opinion over. And then that considered opinion needs to be right more often than it's wrong. <laughs> Not something I personally have experience with. Yeah, because, yeah, uh, you know, like people people count on me uh, professionally for that to be true. And so, uh, which isn't to say that I'm always right, but that the, the pressure to be right more often than not certainly exists. Thankfully, at Fangraphs, they do not make decisions in a vacuum. So when um, I am prepared to be uh, particularly goofy on any given day, I am normally saved by that, or at least the site is by um, the, the thoughtful considerations of other people. But... Yeah, I'm just uh I'm I'm very struck by the number of things that I have to like think about and say, I believe we should do this. And it's like I hadn't thought about that 
entire genre of question <laughs> before November of last year. Now I have to think about a whole new set of genres of questions. Uh, yeah, and genre. and their downstream effects of whatever you right you think of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is true too. So that part's been the most surprising. You know, I do have moments where I, I'm like, remember when I just like wrote about baseball? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm I mean, like would... thinking about a podcast strategy. It's like. Oh. Oh, yeah. Dylan, I did a swear. Mm, Dylan, mm. please help us. I did, I did a swear. Help me, please. So, yeah, I think that's been the – the. I mean, that somebody out there is going to be listening, being like, well, yeah, that's what managing is, Meg. And shut up. <laughs> I didn't think about it before then, okay? I just wanted to make sure the commas were in the right place. Now I got to do all this other stuff. That other stuff is great, but sometimes it's very scary. Yeah, I will. I mean, I will say. Obviously, we're you and I are not privy to all of the decisions made at at either enterprise, uh, no. but we do. I would say a fair amount of our back and forth is discussing whether a comma should be somewhere or whether it should be some other form of punctuation. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I will have like a, a dead brain editor moment and be like, "Can you just tell me what what do you what do you do?" Or uh, what was. Uh, we we've had low a and high a spelling yep. conversations i think we're yeah. both of the opinion that uh, we over hyphenate in baseball writing uh, oh i don't know i'm actually i enjoy a hyphen i don't like hyphens <laughs> i don't like them i think that sometimes they are very necessary and sometimes we should have faith in our audience to be able to understand compound adjective without us needing to put a little dash in there and it's not because i don't always know how to use them that's not the reason at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I don't know. I um I think it was because I I kind of came about thinking of of grammar through Jason Wojciechowski, who is a yeah. an aggressive editor, I think and a good one, but I think he yeah. is um I don't want to overstate or misstate his position, but I think he's pro hyphen in terms of compound adjectives. And so we end up using them a lot and I I tend to think that's just where where I fall on it. But Sure. Sure. Well, what are you going to do? So yeah, we we talk about that stuff. It's, you know, it's good for for peace between nations. <laughs> yeah, about I mean, well, it's fun. I mean, we can <laughs> we can talk about that. I guess it, I feel Go- like I'm totally go- I'm goofing. I'm no, kidding. you are. But well, I think people think that there's a a big rivalry between BP and Fangraphs, and I would say that if either of us had like if if either site had true home offices and they were in the same place, the rivalry would be something that like you settle on a baseball field when we play baseball. But that's like as far as it goes, right? Like it's a fun competition oh, yeah. where like, I don't, I mean, I read fan graphs all the time. I read BP all the time. Yeah. And so it's something, I mean, I don't think that there's any shortage of very good baseball analysis and writing. Oh. And uh, I read as much of it as I can. Uh, that's how I try and maintain my uh, knowledge regarding the game and and expand it. So so mature of you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's my job now. Yes, that does it does add a, a particular patina to your experience of those <laughs> sorts of things. At least it does for me. It's like, oh, this is uh, this is fundamentally goofy sometimes, but also it is my job and one that I take quite seriously. Although, uh, in a moment of panic, a couple of weeks ago, I said to you, not as uh, the managing editor of Baseball Perspectives, but as my friend Craig, who uh, you know, in in whose home I have stayed at the request of you and your lovely wife with your cats, mm-hmm. so you know it's real friendship because I've met the cats. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a moment of panic about some upcoming vacation I have after the after the draft. Because I have been ordered by several people to take vacation, and I had a moment of being panicked about that because it's during the season. And you said to me, "Meg, it's a website," and then I felt a lot better. I mean, at the end of the day, right? It's like, a website, it is... and I was like, I feel humbled and free. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those step back moments because, like, it is these these websites are our lives, and they are yeah. these websites are our communities and our people. Right. Like they're made up of people and they are important to us in a great variety of ways. I, before stepping away from BP for seven months, had been there for upwards of five years and I had uh, dedicated a lot of time to it at the expense of multiple different day jobs. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, it's obviously very important, but it's also like, you know, ultimately like the worst case scenario, if nothing got posted for a week, it would nothing would have been posted on a website for a week and life would go on. Right. 
Right. I mean, that won't happen while I'm on vacation. It will not happen while you're on vacation. Because we have Dylan and all the good writers at Fangraphs. But yes, it is a good reminder to uh, have some perspective, some proper perspective on these things. But that proper perspective is not why I thought you should come on the podcast today. I asked you to come on the podcast today because you wrote a thing at Baseball Prospectus a couple of, I guess, like a, like a week or two ago at this point. Yeah, nine, nine days. days. Yeah. There you go. On financial flexibility. I'm doing air quotes uh, that, that no one can see but me. And it struck me, we're, we'll talk about the specifics of that piece in a moment, but it struck me as part of a sort of a larger trend and theme that we maybe could see in baseball uh, over the last little bit that I thought would be interesting to talk to you about. And we can maybe dive in on this piece and then go from there, which is that it feels as if there is a phenomena in public-facing communication around baseball these days where a lot of people seem to be fibbing a little bit, just fibbing a little bit, and doing so in such a way that that feels, in addition to being kind of potentially quite dishonest, as if they are uh, maybe insulting the intelligence of the people who are observers of the game. Your tags for this financial flexibility uh, piece were, in this order, Atlanta Braves, financial flexibility, give me a break. <laughs> yeah, I did my own tags on this one. <laughs> yeah, those are the tags for this piece. And uh, and they that last one resonated with me because I have had that... I have done that sort of exasperated, give me a break at a lot of different things in baseball lately. But let's start with the financial flexibility. So, Craig, what in, what inspired this piece that you wrote? Yeah, well, and I should I should note first and foremost that someone brought to my attention right after I, I published it that Craig Calcaterra addressed this kind of when the piece that made me think about this for a very long time had come out. There was a piece in the Athletic that was an interview with Alex Anthopoulos and Terry McGuirk of the Atlanta Braves. And there's a question in there that I just, I feel, I think I sent it to you while I was writing the piece. And I just said, like, it's, it's so insulting. So the question says, all we heard about the Braves move to SunTrust, their new park, was that it would drive a higher team payroll. Fans contend that the team was promised as much. Terry, you said the team would have money to spend, but it has been a relatively quiet winter. Please explain. This was, I believe, in February. So this is after the Braves had had signed Josh Donaldson, but had largely not made any other had not made any other significant moves of any real size or commitment, and they notably had not uh, reinforced the bullpen in any way that was meaningful. Just as context. You know, people remember that Braves offseason. Right, exactly. And they, you know, they let some depth go. I'm mm-hmm. not going to say it would have been a, a major deal, but they've basically just opted to fill their depth in with their voluminous number of prospects, which is, you know, all well and good. Austin Riley is promoted today, so we'll see how it goes. But, you know, there were there were things that they, they could have done. And Anthopolis said, did we promise we were going to spend more money or did we promise we were going to have more flexibility? Nobody is ever going to say we have to spend X amount. So just (laughs) him saying, did we promise we were going to spend more money or did we promise we were going to have more flexibility is so I I also I read it in the in the tone of Adam Scott from Party Down with like, are we having fun yet? It's like, do we have financial flexibility yet? And everyone's supposed to be excited about that. No one no one should care about financial flexibility of their team but so far as it lets them use that flexibility at some point to better themselves and hopefully contend for a championship, right? right? Like financial flexibility is only good if at some point you leverage it. Otherwise, right. it's just not spending money. Right. It's not, it is not a virtue in and of itself for fans or members of the front office or players on the team. It's really only, it's really only a positive thing insofar as it allows teams to then make choices down the road from the point where they currently sit. Yeah, I mean, I would say if you you can liken it to a roster spot, right? Like, let's not fill this roster spot. Let's play with 24 guys because it allows us to call up either a pitcher or a position player depending on our needs, except we never actually call someone up. Is that useful or are you just right. playing a man down? Right. Right. And that's and that's kind of what I would argue the Braves and a bunch of other teams this offseason are doing, even ones that are spending up to and or, or exceeding the luxury tax. 
Right. And so then the then the question becomes, what is the purpose of what what are teams then when they engage in sort of this line of rhetoric endeavoring to achieve? Right. Who are they messaging to and what is it that they are hoping fans, I guess, in particular, but, you know, media observers as well are going to walk away saying, like, what do you think? What is the upside from a team perspective for this kind of thing? I mean, I think it's a it's kind of a lawyerly dissembling of of saying I'm you know, we're not spending money like it's a way to say that without but but give hope to the fans and to kind of beguile the media because what what the media does in in a lot of different avenues and a lot of different fields but certainly in baseball as well is just repeat what an executive says right and that isn't taking into account whether what they say is reasonable or valid i suppose and so the question becomes if someone sa- wants to say we're not spending money right now but instead says we're focused on maintaining flexibility. Those are the same things, but one sounds a lot nicer than the other one. And one can then, it's kind of a, a canvas on which fans can cast their hopes and dreams, sure. right? If, if you're not spending money right now, that means it sounds like you're going to spend money later. Right. And that might be true and it might not be true. And my contention is that not that in all cases it's a lie from the get go, but sure. it's certainly noncommittal. I, I likened it to parents saying, we'll see when someone, when a child asks for something, you know, well, we will see. That's true. Um, that's an <laughs> undeniable statement. We are going to find out, but it's a noncommittal way of saying, I'm not addressing this right now. Right. And there's a good chance I'm just going to answer this request by ultimately ignoring it after saying we'll see over and over again. I like very much the optimism you have that we will in fact see and that the world will not just cease to exist in the last <laughs> well, little bit. You know, it, what a positive I'm not vote. projecting in past 10 years or <laughs> whatever the climate change people give us at this point. <laughs> oh, no. Uh here we are with our dose of perspective again. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's a I think that that's a good way of putting it because I do I think that we probably could be well served as baseball observers to do a better job differentiating between what are sort of constraints that are put on baseball operations groups by ownership uh, in terms of budget versus what are what is like an actual strategy that is cooked up by the people running teams in order to affect what they think their the vision of baseball should be and those aren't always easily differentiated from one another and so I don't mean to like give execs a pass by any means but I I do think that we could maybe do a slightly better job of saying like well I'm sure that every executive unburdened by a budget would spend as much as they want to but they often can't do that but setting that aside because it doesn't really matter. I think that it's a good way of putting it because you're right. We do then as fans look to major events in the baseball calendar as opportunities for that progress to that promise to be sort of made good, right? That Mm -hmm. this financial flexibility will be deployed to some end that will lead to playoff baseball, right? And that's what fans care about. And you have a lot of opportunities as a team to pass blame for failing to do that at those moments to outside forces, Right. So if you can't get the guy you want at the trade deadline, well, that might not be a budget consideration at all. Right. That might just be a result of you not having prospects who are appealing to a potential trade partner or someone else offering a better deal, which is true in free agency, but is a lot easier to sort of parse out in terms of how invested or likely you really were to be engaged in a particular conversation because we end up knowing what the dollar amount is, right, in a way that is way more clear than it ends up being when you have, like, supposed trade packages that might have gone back and forth. And then you get to free agency, and it's like, well, you wanted to go to a different team. He loves the West Coast. What could we do? We live in Pittsburgh just to, like, pick a team that never spends money. And there's a lot of we tried, right? There's a lot of after someone signs, oh, well, we made an effort, and look at us and our – and are trying like we it's not that we didn't try and spend this money that our owners can now pocket but we did try and spend it but since no it was only on this guy or these select few guys and if we don't find other players who we think are worth that money then it doesn't make sense to make a bad investment and so oh well we're just left with this surplus and we're going to push that forward to the July trade deadline and oh it looks turns out that you know half the league isn't competing and doesn't really right. have assets to sell and so now 
you know, okay, we're going to push it over to next winter. And, you know, it's just, it's the we'll see, or you'll find out when you're older. Right. And like, there are times, you know, there are def. I think that when fans get grumpy about, about off seasons, maybe not being as active as they want, there is, as, as you note in this piece, like there is a kernel of truth to it, right? And that you do not have exclusive, it is not as if, you know, we'll pick another team that never spends money. Like, it's not as if the Rays have the ability to control the market, even if they were, you know, unburdened by a budget, right? Like Correct. there are other factors in the market. There are free agents who get to decide where they get to go work. That's the whole thing that we like. And so there is that kernel of truth, which then, as you say, ends up giving them this out. And I wonder, looking ahead to the next couple of rounds of free agency, I wonder whether you think that is going to be a line that is harder to pair it with any kind of credibility or easier, because there will be far fewer free agents, marquee free agents, right? We're seeing these guys get signed to extensions very early in their careers and a lot of, or not early in their careers, but for a very long time. So some of the guys that everyone was excited about won't be available because they've made their choices, right? They've signed a lease. Mm -hmm. They've bought a condo in Southern California or wherever. So on the one hand, there are going to be far fewer of them. At the same time, because there are far fewer of them, the, well, we tried, but we couldn't quite do it might be easier. What do you think? Do you think they're going to have to get a new line? No, not particularly. <laughs> I mean, I think that a lot of fans do buy this line. And like like you said, and, and I mentioned in the article, I, it's because there's truth to it. There's right. Financial flexibility is a valuable thing to have. It's, it's good to be able to go and decide amongst, you know, Anthopolis used the phrase constantly, shop in every aisle. It's great to be able to shop in every aisle. Sure. It's It's really only great if you actually buy something, though. And, right. you know, to their credit, they spent a lot of money for one year of Josh Donaldson, but they had also talked about expanding payroll and they had a bunch of money come off their books and they brought, you know, Nick Markakis back for less than he was making the year before. They they basically didn't come through on that aspect of it. And, you know, their their best starter last year, Mike Fultonevich, is, you know, had a shoulder issue, is come mm -hmm. back, his velocity has declined. You know, they have a lot of pitching prospects, which they wanted to lean on, but also, you could have gone and, you know, made a play for Pat Corbin. Right. Uh, it, Dallas Keuchel is still around. And the thing about, you know, the thing about these some teams that don't have flexibility is that they don't always have questions to answer either. If you address a need by using up all of the flexibility that you have, then that need is no longer a need. Right. And that's a good thing. And I think teams always like to be able to sell the idea of doing something. Anthopoulos mentioned in this athletic interview multiple times, the value of adding someone at the deadline. And that's well and good, but it kind of talks around the aspect of he could have both added someone during the winter or more people during the winter than Donaldson and bringing back Marcakis and added someone at the deadline. Like right. one does not preclude the other. You can, if you have the the flexibility that you're talking about, you can use it in multiple bursts rather than all at once. Like the, the whole point of the flexibility is that you're flexible to use it in a variety right. of ways. And to your point about these guys being locked up forever, I think, as you said, these teams that aren't actually looking to spend money are going to look at the few guys who do make it to free agency and so and say we can't compete with the Dodgers and the Yankees and the right. Red Sox on the, on that scale and no one else is worth spending the money that the type of money that our fans are expecting on and it's just going to be a cycle that uh you know it, it's a um an ouroboros if you if you will this is part of why I was so happy that the Padres signed Manny Machado. Yeah, this winter was a good example of that, right? Like a lot of people kept saying, why aren't teams spending? And a lot of teams were saying, oh, we're going to eventually. Right. As, and, and yes, you will eventually. Manny Machado and Bryce Harper signed eventually. But those were two teams. Right. And 30 of them were not really moving. So anyway, go ahead. Right. No, I was just going to say, because it's, you know, the, I, I think that the the more examples baseball can accumulate of teams that are traditionally thought of as not being big payroll teams, you know, acquiring these contracts, signing these contracts that are 
quite substantial and for a significant period of time, you know, the credibility of that argument that like we can't afford to spend setting aside the financial flexibility component of that, but just that we straight up cannot afford to spend our budget as X, it makes that look harder to buy right mm-hmm. as a fan it's like well, well i mean i don't know the padres have eric Cosmer and manny machado i think you can probably figure it out right right well I, right the, it's all based on a on a premise that's pretty loose to begin with the in terms of a lot of these these teams Lucy. and their budgets yeah yeah it, it's true and i i think that um you know we can we can move off of the the financial flexibility Ooh. dylan can you make me sound like i'm not tripping over my tongue hey thanks i'm i'm the one who's drinking Oh, I didn't think that drinking was an option. I guess it's almost five where you are. And it's I not started even... I started during my chat. To be <laughs> honest, sometimes you need a drink to get through the chat. Okay, now we're leaving all of this in. We're going to have a minor <laughs> chat digression. Did uh, did Dusty from Colorado swing by the chat? He did. He showed up. I am, oh. uh, I'm sure he'll hear this, whoever it is. He does but... not care for me, so perhaps he oh. does not listen to the pod. Interesting. Okay. He did, and other people now ask on, on his behalf anyway. I'm just not answering them. Oh, geez. That's my, yeah. uh, I'm not like, I'm not even playfully answering yeah. that. I did, I put him, I mentioned him, I made him, the, the last question I answered in my chat was uh, to replace Veep characters with BP personalities. <laughs> and um, I it's made quite dangerous. Dusty. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, they're all abhorrent is one, <laughs> one problem. But then again, it's, it's BP people. So, you yeah. know, we're all fairly abhorrent too. Yeah, I guess that's true. You're all monsters. But- I put the real tough one was Jonah. Mm. You don't really want to call Aww. anyone Jonah, especially after this last season. And uh, so I went with Dusty uh, from Colorado <laughs> as Jonah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'd need a drink too. So anyway, as I said at the beginning of all this, like the thing that struck me about your financial flexibility piece was that it did feel like it was part of you know, a phenomena that we're seeing more. I think the the conversation around how the ball has changed again is maybe the place where we've noticed this the the most recently, where it just seems like um you know, we have we have like science. That's the thing the thing that's is a we Democrat have, thing. The thing is we have hey now. Uh <laughs> the thing is we have some science uh, and some very smart people who are smarter than I am, who were commissioned by Major League Baseball to investigate the ball and the home run surge, concluded that, like, you know, there's this other stuff that's going on, and maybe it has a teeny tiny little bit of effect, but it's the ball. The ball is different, and the ball is why we see more home runs. And the and that report did not ascribe a motivation to that change, and it certainly didn't say that it had been, you know, ordered like a you know, like it's the Tataglia family and the Tataglias are coming for you. It's not like that. They said it's just different. And the ball is different again this this year. It is livelier, mm-hmm. at least in the early going, is livelier than uh, it was in 2018. And uh, the commissioner has has seemingly forgot the report that he commissioned and is not talking about the ball being all that different and is instead, and then when he is admitting that there might be some differences, uh, sort of attributing this to variation in the manufacturing process, which I don't think is as uh, comforting uh, an explanation as he perhaps <laughs> thinks it is. Well, so this this goes to the, the whole, well, I mean, like we talked about with financial flexibility, the kernel of truth, right? Like right. The, yes, there is. Yes. Sure. Well, it's one of those things that also, to go back to our first discussion on Twitter, is sometimes you're complaining about something on Twitter and someone will chime in and say, yes, well, that's how it is. And yes, that's yes. what I'm complaining about. Yes. I'm complaining about how it is. So yes, I I agree with Rob Manfred. It is within the uh, legal or allowable variation within the bounds of whatever MLB has set for the ball. The question is, at what point does Major League Baseball and the commissioner's office have some culpability in not adjusting how wide those boundaries are? We're assuming some greater degree of control over the manufacturing process, right? Even if you think that that range is acceptable i mean the thing is i don't think that anyone i don't know that i mind all the home runs i like home runs some people some a very close friend of both of ours cares a lot about home runs yeah who are you talking about oh brendan 
Oh, yes. Our friend Brendan Glasky does care very much about hormones. He likes something. And he, we, he wrote something at, at BP. It was um, very good. And it was, it was very good. I, but I don't, I don't think I agree. Like, I don't care. I, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm very open to the fact that, like, because I grew up in a, with baseball in a lower home run environment, I might feel that that's the preferred aesthetic, but I don't, I don't mind it. Sure. I just want it to be more stable. Sure. Yes. The the variation from year to year is very concerning because it makes it feel not like we are experiencing a changing aesthetic of the game because the players are so great and they are driving that change because now they can hit the ball so far, but that this is just, you know, not checking your tire light mm-hmm. for a while or... That's a terrible analogy. You ever you ever drive your car when it's really hot and they actually have to take pressure out of your tires because they expand? Yes. And then it's too there's too much pressure. It's like that. It's like that. No. Sure. Still bad. It's still bad. It doesn't feel organic, and it certainly doesn't feel as if it is being driven by the talent or like you know sort of natural change in the player demographic it is just that they can't control the equipment in a way that is meaningful and that the tinkering is perhaps you know could be adjusted such that it would be less noticeable and the shift would occur slowly over time as opposed to being big bursts all at once and i i agree with all of that and i think my my biggest issue with it is that stop making me care about this i don't want sure. to care right. it's kind of like i was listening to effectively wild from a few days ago and you were talking about like the gambling side of oh, yeah, don't of baseball and like no but you might ha- but like you don't but want I'm gonna have to, to right yeah. but it's one of those things that you can understand the importance of it and blah 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 and we're going to have to we're going to have to take this into consideration. This is one of those things that like could be mostly solved and I would have I would be able to stop paying attention to the granularity of how high the seams are on the right. ball and it seems like they're just saying, "No, we're going to let it fly." And like literally. <sighs> I uh... But I don't want I don't want to have to keep I don't want to have to say once I see something or have someone say, hey, Tommy LaStella, what's that about? And me have to say, well, let me let me check the drag resistance before I can answer you. Right. Yes, it is. Um, you know, it has been as a person who pays attention to uh, a lot of a lot of baseball sorts, but maybe uh, hears the most about the Mariners just from people I know outside of baseball. You know, there are a lot of people who are very excited about Domingo Santana. Very excited, not about his defense, which is atrociously bad, but they are super excited about all these dingers because dingers are exciting and he hits a lot of them. And you get all of that, but then, you know, you have to explain to them, well, you know, he hit a lot of those in 2017 when the ball was super lively and then that number dropped pretty precipitously when it was less lively and now it's back again and it casts doubt on on poor Domingo, whose defense is already in question. And so he just like a win and you can't give it to him because you're like, oh, it's well, probably yeah, some, it, some the ball. It sucks. I mean, we, we both do these chats and I, I assume you get a lot of the same questions I do is like, is this person for real? Yes. And it sucks to have to answer. Well, it depends if the ball stays where it is. Right. Like if the ball stays constant, I think there's, you know, I have some measure of additional confidence in this person uh, continuing to be what he's been, but I can't, you know, you nor I nor nor anyone that we really talk to has any input on whether the ball will stay that way uh, or insight as, as to whether it will either. And so it's it's a dissatisfying answer for everyone. It's dissatisfying right. to have to give it, but it's the honest one. And it probably is not helpful to hear to, to be yeah. on the receiving end. And, yeah. and the last thing I would say is that I think Commissioner Manfred has blood on his hands because I keep having to Very hear dramatic. and talk about, yeah, Mitch Garver. And I don't want to know about Mitch Garver. <laughs> I got to be honest. That went in such a different direction than I was expecting. You started your sentence and I was no, like, blood oh, on I, his hands. I, I keep was like, hearing I, about Mitch Garver. I was like, I might have to have Dylan edit this out. <laughs> we might go too Dylan, far. Mitch Garver is a bit of a curse word. You might have to bleep that, Dylan. <laughs> That's a bit of a swear in my household. Uh, bit of a swear indeed. So the takeaway for us here, I think we would say, is that we would just like it if we were treated like adults. 
right, in recognition of science uh, and what we kind of know to be true and what we are able to suss out logically, even when maybe science isn't the right frame to put around it. But like we, we know how. That's what you're looking for. <laughs> Gosh, I'm trying to cause a- you know what? I'm gonna leave it all in because when Carson hosted this podcast, the number of times that he brought up Joe Arpaio for no for no reason at all. Dylan, I did another swear just for no reason, and then you're sitting there with dead air, and you're like, "Am I supposed to joke along with this? I don't think this is funny. That isn't a good man. His actions are reprehensible. Should I kid?" Or should I just laugh uncomfortably and hope Carson moves on? I'm just trying to help you better frame what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we'd like to be treated like adults. We would like where there are clear answers to be given those answers rather than be told something that we know sort of flies in defiance of science or, or logic. Or like, you know, I think another example that there has been of this, just take it in a in an even darker, more dire direction, has Good. been some of the the uncomfortable and and sort of silly and at times very disingenuous and yucky posturing that has gone on by various members of like the Cubs organization in response to Addison Russell, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's everything is being framed in redemption and overcoming and helping a young man find his way. And it's like, uh, we just like this shortstop. I did another swear. We're going to set a land speed I record. Forgot. I thought I was the one who was going to swear a lot. I haven't sworn on this podcast in a while, so maybe I've been building. I'm I'm glad to be your audience. I, I think I, swear I feel like maybe lot, I, so. yeah, I say, maybe I elicit such things. <laughs> I I swear at you all the time. You know, we're going to we're going to prioritize having this 80 WRC plus shortstop on our roster for reasons that no old. one can understand. Uh, no one else in the industry actually thinks this guy is all that good. Certainly not worth the headache of having to thread this needle of uh, our public messaging and our private response to his very bad behavior and abuse of his family. Like, they they could say, we care about winning baseball games and we think this guy helps us win baseball games. But they feel like they can't say that because it'll be Craven and, uh, or excuse me, they take the Craven route. I can't even say words. You know what I'm trying to say. It's like, just tell us that you don't care about the other stuff or... Don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. That is a really terrible expression. Why did we... Why it's did so we ever, accurate. But why did we ever... Are we talking to a dog? Is that the dog? Well, I don't think the dogs can tell you it's raining. <laughs> But okay, don't spin in my face and tell me it's raining. Is that better? Does that? No, <laughs> no, that's I'm, not my the issue problem. Is, my issue is not with you, candidly. It's with the expression. But uh, the gross expression is accurate, right? Like we can observe behavior and often diagnose it. And even if there are, I'm sure, members of that organization who very sincerely care about this issue, right, and perhaps even view themselves as having a a real and sincere obligation to, you know, assist in the reclamation of this person's life. That doesn't appear to really be what's motivating the choice from a baseball ops perspective. And so I wish that they would just say that. And they never will because the PR around that would be even worse, I guess. But it would at least be honest. Yeah, I mean, so, I think I think they, they see it. And this is this is not distinct to the Cubs or no. baseball teams or anything. They just say, if if I tell a lie or a version of the truth, which is what other people call a lie, um, then some <laughs> percentage of this episode, <laughs> what's that? Nothing. It's okay. fine. Some percentage of people are going to believe it. They're going right. to take us at our word. And that's something that we can in you know inject into the conversation and then it becomes about something that's different than the actual thing that we're talking about and right. right if they just said yeah we care about winning and we think this is the best player for our team and we think you know you know that he is going to 
assert himself at shortstop and then we can move Javi around and, you know, that's a benefit for us. Then the conversation is about how the Cubs don't care about anything but winning. Whereas now it's, you're going to have people who, again, take them at their word. Right. And, and because we, even you and I, like we might not believe them, but we do want to caveat and say there, I'm sure there are people who do, sure. you know, right. We want to make that caveat and we want them to, we, we want to be honest about where we're coming from and what is likely happening over there. And it, it just bogs the whole thing down and makes it about something that isn't, isn't the actual thing at hand. And I think. You know, just in my take on the, on the Russell thing, I, I agree with everything you've said. Um, I, I think the most frustrating part for me is not just that it's, it's a redemption narrative and all of that. It's that he himself, like the, the media aside, but he himself, all he's talked about is the struggles that have been placed upon him. Right. You know, he talks about like the benefit of learning to live under a microscope. Or something like that. And it's like, yeah, okay. I mean, I guess maybe that's true for you. But what about the benefit of learning that your actions were wrong and harmful and that, you know, what people want out of, out of these guys who do wrong? What I was asked a, a chat question about this. Uh, what I want to see from Julio Urias after his arrest is ownership. I want right. you to own your actions and I don't want to hear I didn't, you know, it wasn't meant that way. It was never intended to be that. You know, I think something that we as adults kind of grasp better than some of, and, and look, Urias is 23, Russell's, I don't know, what, 25? Yeah. They're younger. I get it. But like part of growing up and, and part of the responsibility that comes with being looked up to in, in as a public figure is that you're forced to sometimes grow up a little faster and, and you don't have the benefit of doing so outside of the, the spotlight and that you have to say what I intended was maybe not what happened. And I, I, of course, you know, it might be worse if I intended it, but the damage is done. You know, if, if you drop a vase, you know, it might not have been the same as smashing it, but the vase is still broken. And these people that you hurt are still broken. And right. it doesn't matter if you meant it or if you were really frustrated or sometimes your emotions get the best of you. These things happen to all of us, but the damage is still there. These, these things and these people are still broken at the end of it. And so you have to take responsibility for those things. Right. And that's what we tend not to see with these athletes, be them in baseball, football, wherever. Well, and I think it's challenging because so much of the work, the actual work that abusers who perhaps take seriously the responsibility to intervene on their behavior, learn healthy means of conflict resolution, and try to somehow uh, make amends for what they have done. All of that work happens away from the public eye, as you know, as well it should, right? Like mm -hmm. there's our sort of prurient interest in in knowing like the TikTok of Addison Russell's path from being an abuser to being reformed in some meaningful way to having made amends to having taken responsibility. Like it is our responsibility and so or our sort of right to know some of that stuff insofar as these are public figures and they're entertainers, but it isn't really our business. It's made our business by his continued presence on the roster, right? And his continued mm -hmm. presence as a public person. But like our satisfaction there is, you know, is and should be secondary to the privacy that his family needs to do the healing that they that they hopefully are able to after all of this. So it is an odd situation because we can't ever see that work. And so then it puts these public statements in a particularly weirdly important place because yeah. it's all we have to go on, right? All we have to go on is what this guy says to the press. All we have to go on in terms of, you know, how seriously the organization takes this stuff, how well they get it, right? That sense that we have that they take it seriously and sort of understand the gravity of what this is. None of that can can happen in any kind of meaningful way. They can't show us the proof. They can only show the solution. So how that solution is worded really matters because it's right. the only thing we can sort of parse and look at to say, well, did they did they go about this the right way? Did they take it seriously? Are they, you know, 
sort of affording it the gravity that they should. We don't have any other way of knowing that. And so I'm sympathetic to the idea that these things are very difficult to talk about and that I think there are maybe times when because we are so frustrated with how poorly this stuff has been handled in the past, there can be a little bit of like trying to catch people out, yeah. right? Where they they are, I think, maybe sometimes sincerely trying to convey what we want them to, but they're just kind of bumbling and so they don't and so sometimes that happens and you know that's maybe suboptimal but i think that more often than not people's frustration with the way that those things are presented publicly is fair because it's all we have it's all we have to go on is you know the (laughs) like the 20 minutes that russell is spending in front of press in arizona right that's it right so i I think just to add to you know, just as a tack on to what you said, because I, I do agree, is one one thing I said when I was asked about this in my chat about Urias is that, you know, we have to take the organizations at their word about right. these guys putting in the work, right? Because as you said, it happens kind of away from the spotlight, away from right. the field, and, and that's fine. But the organizations also generally have not earned the benefit of the doubt in right. in conferring that the work has been done. Because they have different motives. They have different biases. They want the players back. They don't necessarily want to do the moral or ethical thing. They want to do the productive thing. And those, it would be great when those align, but they don't always. And so that makes it harder to parse these things as well. Well, and particularly with an organization like the Cubs that does not have a sterling record. (laughs) When it comes to this sort of thing, right, Um, they have exploited that the availability of some of these guys in the past on their way to winning a World Series um, and has certainly taken advantage of, even though the price in the Chapman deal ended up being quite steep. But, you know, the availability of these guys in in spite of having been suspended is something that they have seen fit to avail themselves of. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Right. And so you know you're going to need a you're going to need to do it right a couple times before people are going to look at you and say yeah like we get it this is hard to talk about but we think you generally mean the right thing it's like well i don't know if you do i, I don't know you right. you traded for chapman yeah i mean i think it applies to to houston with the roberto yeah. osuna acquisition like it's it's really hard you know the next if there's a next time that something happens in houston related to domestic violence or or any other type of violence, it's harder for me to take them at their word when they acquire Roberto Osuna and say in the same breath, we're a zero tolerance organization for this. Right. Like th- this is, that's insulting right. to say, to say those words and do that thing. And you're doing it in plain sight. So my, my recommendation is not to be sneakier about it. It's just to not lie to us. Right. And that's, that's the frustrating part. And it, it makes it really, really difficult when you then come out and say, you know, this person has put in the work and has bettered themselves because I, you know, I think a lot of people want to be forgiving of others in some capacity. I think sure. there are, there's a hard line on domestic violence for a great many people. And I, I understand that as well, but. You know, we all have our different kind of, you know, lines in the sand as far as that is. Sure. But a lot of us generally want to see people improve themselves, uh, let's say. But when the people conferring that improvement are the same people that lay bare their motives by, by, you know, making these actions, making these acquisitions and signings and offering. I mean, the Cubs, the Cubs could have offered him all the support that they have while not offering him or tendering him a contract in the offseason. Sure. Like there are a variety of ways to do that to provide the support to him and the the people that he's wronged in the process, his the mothers of his children, Melissa Reedy in this case, all of these things they could have provided support and also said, you know, we're going to give you this because we want you to be better, but also we're not going to pay you and have you be part of our team. Right. I I just think that um we're going to have to have you on to talk about a fun thing a different time. <laughs> um, I just think that you're right to say like there are other 
avenues available to them and you know how realistic those avenues are you know how likely it is that a team is ever going to avail themselves of those I think is debatable because they're as you noted like their investment in the player changes pretty substantially probably runs to zero once they're not in a position to help them win baseball games but it would sort of add an air of authenticity to the claim that they care about this stuff if they you know were inclined to do what you described it's just very exhausting. Oh, it's incredibly draining. Well, and I think that, I don't know if you have this experience, but we have a lot of grifters about in yeah. the world right now. I feel like we're in a great era for grift. I'm I'm in the hometown right now. Yeah, you are. It's right <laughs> in your backyard. There are several people who I, not people in my class from my high school, but there are maybe some people who I went to high school with who I'm pretty sure are part of multi-level marketing schemes. And yeah. I follow them on Instagram just to hear them try to shill their nonsense because I'm just like fascinated by, I'm fascinated by the grift, even though it's quite concerning and I hope no one buys their whatever they're selling. And so I think that part of the frustration, whether it's sort of this ham-fisted attempt to uh, explain away and, and make us stop talking about domestic violence, which is really what they want, right? They want us to never talk about it again. They want it mm -hmm. to not be a story when he gets called up, even though it is a story when he gets called up, right? They want it to go away. So whether it's that or like just not really talking in in honest terms about uh, what's going on with baseball because we, we know pretty well and it is not the way that the ball is being talked about by important league officials or even just like this question of financial flexibility. It's like, we are surrounded by grift, and I would like yeah. baseball to be a grift-free zone. And I'm not saying that the people in in did you I, I'm, in did this you case, say you wanted it to be a griffy-free zone? No, well, kind of is a griffy-free zone yeah, a little bit. in its own way. Uh, and an ad last year. That's he's well, he's he still does uh, work with the Mariners, but I don't mean to say that the the situations are equivalent. I'm just no. saying in an era. That does not seem to prioritize, say, science and There's does does like democratic science. Gr Griff, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm having fun. I'm gonna get an email from Appleman. He's gonna be like, you cannot ask Craig back. He is causing all sorts of problems. He is calling people liars. He is talking about the commissioner of baseball having blood on his hands. Only in regards to Mitch Garver. <sighs> We should make clear that we do not think that the commissioner has murdered anyone no. else that we know of. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no, we're, we don't think that he has murdered anyone. So, so it just comes back to bad, like it comes back to good faith versus bad faith. Right. right? And that's, that's been the crux of a lot of the off season issues. And, and a lot of this is that if, like, if you're going to engage with me, please do so in good faith and not with, with ulterior motives. Right. Right. Yeah, and probably don't, you know, tender bad shortstops contracts. Just don't yeah, do it. Yeah, I'm, just, there's a whole different baseball application to that. Don't do it. Yeah, there are several that fit in this category, some of them for the same reason. Oh, no. Craig, how did you think this went? Um, <laughs> I think it's been wide-ranging. We've, we've been very loose. Yes. We've been quite loose. I hope uh, I hope that people will stick with us through our looseness. You know, these are tricky things to talk about. We acknowledge the nuance, but we also just wish, as you said, that people would uh, conduct themselves as a, a fair broker of information, an honest broker. That's the expression. I've struggled a couple of times in this uh, in this podcast to come up with expressions and words that I know. I wonder if I'm getting a migraine. To, um, you know, I, I just to support your request, Ron. I would say this is not your best. This oh, has not been. Thank you. Well, thank you know, I'm just trying to be straightforward. Thank you. I appreciate. I appreciate that. So, what are you thinking? Like a, a B, B plus? I, I'll go B plus. I think you oh, said a lot thanks. of good things. I yeah, think you said a lot of good things, but there were just some stumbles. Yeah, there were. I'm gonna leave them in in the pursuit of honesty. But mm -hmm. Dylan, you should edit out the swears because yeah. this is a family podcast in which we talk about peeing on people's legs. But we're very, calling it rain. Very normal. Who is responsible for that expression? I want a name. <laughs> Can we put it at the at the feet of uh, Benioff mm. and Weiss? Oh, sure. Yeah. 
I mean, we're just... Those guys don't even get me started. We've already gone an hour, so I don't think that we have enough time to talk about Thrones, which (laughs) is fine. Talk about bad faith. I just... I'm just saying that there are ways that you can make that turn, which we all did see coming, uh, feel earned, and they elected to do none of those things. And right. I'm it was, furious. It was very foreshadowed, and it was also not earned. not earned. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, we'll leave the Thrones talk alone for now. I don't know when I'm going to see the finale, because uh-uh. I, I have to travel to Colorado for my cousin's graduation this coming weekend. And none of the people in my family are really Thrones watchers, and I am not going to introduce them to that show in the final episode. <laughs> I think I think you should, and also just, you know, ask I'm them what not, they think was going on. I'm not going to make my grandma watch Game of Thrones. I'm not going to tell her about the attractive young people who happen to be related who have slept together on that show. I'm not having that conversation with grandma. The Some of them are now not able to to be attracted to each other anymore some of them are dead some of them are dead i don't know that that would make grandma feel better i don't know that it makes me feel better candidly yeah Mm. Uh, i've had the pirates diamondbacks game on on mute while we have been chatting so it's really the diamondbacks fault adam jones just hit a home run i wonder if the ball was available for very cheap he was available cleveland might have been interested yeah yeah He's a, uh, uh, we will, we will go after this because you have stuff to do, Shirley, and I probably do too. Let's see. Adam Jones, tell me about yourself. I haven't really watched a ton of Diamondbacks this year because why would I? 116 WRC plus. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, even if he was just a league average bat. Um, yeah. I mean, the defense last year. is what we thought it would be, but yeah, but you know who could use a league average bat in the outfield? Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah. Cleveland could. Yeah. I, they'd be very excited about that. Anyhow, Craig, I would rate your performances like an A. No, I don't. I think undeserved. You did way better than I did. That part is true (laughs) at the very least. And we will have you back on the show at some point. But uh, hey, thanks for coming by and chatting with us on uh, Fangraphs Audio here. The us being, I guess, me and Dylan and then all of our many listeners. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon, I think. Yes, that would be great. Well, thank you for having me.